Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. Where else can you listen to Big Brother House Guests, Survivor Castaways, and the Amazing Racer Racers? That's right. Here at the Rad Reality Show Network, and we have so many other guests. Um, tonight, we have special guests. Everyone sit back and enjoy, because you know what? You know what day it is? It's Monday. That means it's Manic Monday, and that means it's time for... Everyone that's listening somewhere else on the internet, welcome to Manic Monday. Welcome, everyone. Happy Manic Monday. I'm glad you're here with us. This is your Rad Reality Show Network. We connect you to the reality stars you love. It's May 2nd, 2016. I'm Cherry Garcia, and I'm so happy to have you here with us tonight for the Manic Monday Show. Our usual host, Michelle Costa, is away at an annual charity event. It's a golf tournament that she does every year for charity. So I'll be sitting in for Michelle, and let's hope she's doing great out there on the golf course. She will will be back here with us next Monday, but tonight I've got two amazing special guests to share with everyone. Our first segment, I've got just an amazing guy, James Swift. He was on Utopia on the Fox Network. And after that, uh, he recently wrote an autobiography of his difficult and painful child childhood growing up in the Deep South and gay. And he's a survivor on so many levels, and I can't wait for him to share his stories tonight. He's just an amazing guy. You're going to enjoy this so much. Um, I can't wait to to bring him up and have him start telling telling a story. So he's going to be in our first segment. Then in our second segment, 
we'll have another author, Stacy Juba, who wrote a book called Sink or Swim that was actually about a reality show. And she's written a number of books since then. Um, and I'm going to talk with her more about those once she's on here with me. But she really got involved in the reality TV community, and she now sends out a reality TV newsletter as well. Uh, we'll get into all those details. Stacey Juba joins me on air in our second segment. I uh, can't wait to have her with me as well. So if you do have any questions or comments tonight for my guests, you are invited to call in at one three four seven two three seven five five zero six. Please do listen to the prompts on the switchboard and remember to press the number one key on your phone once you're on our switchboard. That lets us know that you are ready to join us on air and you're not just listening to the show from our switchboard. So again, I want to say welcome to everybody who's joining us tonight, those who are just listening and those who are in our chat room. Thank you so much for being here. Our guest is already on the switchboard and ready to go, so let's say a great big welcome to James Swift. Thank you so much for being here tonight, James. How are you? I'm doing amazingly well, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Um, I have many questions and have really looked forward to having you on the show to tell the story because you are a survivor and really do have a, a great story to tell. And your first book out is getting so many awards and so much recognition. I was, I'm I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. But I was completely surprised. Um, I've never written a book before, and but the time that I was on Utopia and I talked about the conversion therapy that I went through as a child, um, I had so many people, and I cannot speak highly enough of my online family, and I'll get more into that later, but the people that follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Google Plus and Twitter, they're not followers. They're my family, and I try to get as personal with each post as I can to let them know that I'm not just running through and answering stuff out of, you know, out of the blue. I want them to know that I honestly do care. But they wanted to hear more about what I went through than legal. And I just sat down and I just started writing, and the next thing I knew I had a book. <laughs> That's incredible. That that was my first question. Um, you know, the general public last saw you on TV on Utopia and how long after you left Utopia did you decide to write the, the autobiography? And did being on Utopia, you know, had to do with writing the book? And did, you know, did you feel like you had a bigger audience so it was now or never? Or did being on Utopia have nothing at all to do with it? Or did it have a lot to do with it because you had this big family it, now it of... It had everything to do with it. Um, when See, I wasn't even on social media before I went on the show, and when all that was set up and I started, I mean, the people who were following me had to tell me how to use it because I didn't know what to do. I got a tweet one day, and they said, do you ever follow anybody back that follows you? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
So um, I had so many messages and people asking me more and more and more about the conversion therapy, the the cult, the Worldwide Church of God that I grew up in. And then when I wrote the Grindstones, we had not found the people and the compound. I had looked all those years on my own what my, my PTSD would allow me to do because I have triggers like crazy. One of my friends, Teresa, just out of the blue sent me a message, and I was already finished writing Rusted Rhinestones, and it had gone to the publisher. And she's like, I think I found them, and I almost fell out. I was like, what do you mean? And so we did more research because I knew that it was near Arcadia, Louisiana, and that it was somehow related to the Worldwide Church of God because that's the church I grew up in, which if they're not familiar with that, it's Herbert W. Armstrong and Armstrongism, which is completely different than your regular Christian religions. We didn't do birthdays or Christmas or Easter or anything like that. We had holy days, and we did the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, and things like that. And we went to church on Saturday, but the the whole thing with the children in this church were uh, discipline and extreme discipline. If you had more than one child, if they if one did something wrong, you had to beat both of them so the other one would know better than to do it in the future. And it was just it was horrible. Uh, there are so many survivor oh groups gosh. that I've joined, and we just we really. We have a bond because we know how brutal it was. Um, once I reached the age of 15, the, my pastor had told my parents that I was possessed by a gay demon and that the only way for them to assure that the demon would not take grasp of me forever was to cause me physical pain. So they took right to it. They had no problem with it. I was, you know, 12 or 13, and then I could go to this special place, this special camp, and they could help me when I was 15, but until then, they had to beat the crap out of me almost every single day. And Oh, my God. They did, um, for no reason, just because the pastor said that, you know, because I was effeminate, that I had to have a demon in me. When I did reach the age of 15, um, my birthday is in December, so one night I'm asleep in my bed. The door flies open. These two men grab me out of bed in my pajamas, you know, no socks, no shoes, nothing, and they start dragging me down the hall, and my mom and dad are standing there, and I was, like, screaming, and Dad said, just go with them. They're going to help you. Well, I went with them. They took me outside. There was a green van, an old Ford van, and... There was a woman sitting in the back and two in the the two seats in the front for two men and then the middle seat is where they put me and there were no handles on the inside for me to open the door or anything because I was going to ruin. <laughs> they were extremely rude to me and after we got on the interstate leaving Monroe going towards Arcadia, this lady in the back put a hood over my head and tied it with a rope around my neck and I was terrified. And oh I asked her what God. she was going I asked her what she was going to do and she said, Nothing, you just don't need to see where you're going. And when we arrived at the place, 
she took the rope around my neck away and she took the, the hood off and there was this chain link fence, I'll never forget it, and the building was cinder block and it had a double door with this old style light hanging over the door and I'll never forget the light because it looked like the one that hung over the general store when I used to watch the Waltons. It was almost identical to it. Well, they took me in and I learned really, really, really fast that this was not summer camp like I'd heard about the other kids at school. But um, the torture, um, the, okay, first and foremost, you got no water or no food unless you earned it. And our food was either bovine food or dry dog food mixed with water. That's what they fed us. And since we have found the people after the book came out, then I have connected with other survivors, and they have the exact same story that I do when it comes to certain foods. And the, our restroom was a can that they put inside our cage with us, and yes, we were caged. Caged? Yes. And they there were chain link cages inside this one room, and they had a small cot with no cover, cement floor, there was a drain in the middle of the floor, and part of a group punishment, they would come in and hose us all down while we were shackled. There was these chains that went through the ceiling part of the chain link with these wrist cuffs on them, and they would tighten them down on your wrist with zip ties, and you could not get them off, and they would just hose us down. And one time, because I spoke, we were not allowed to speak. Because I did speak, they came in and they beat me with this Bible and chained me up, stripped me down naked, and left me up there for a day and a half, just standing on cold concrete in December, naked. And it was it was very bad. Um, other therapies that they did, the electroshock, they would strap us to a table and then wheel over this like rolling cart, and there was a car battery. And then they had cut the ends off of a jumper cable. The other ends were attached to the battery. They put a stick in our mouth, and they would just touch the other two cables to us and shock the crap out of us. I still have scars all over my body from that. Another therapy technique, they would strap us down into this wooden chair and on the arms, there were cutouts for the fingers, like a, it looked like a glove mold or something, but it was just wood where it was cut out to hold each finger. They zip tie down each finger, your wrist, your forearm. Uh, there was probably 30 straps from my knees to my neck, and they would push my head back while they were praying in tongues to get the demon out of me after they'd put a stick in my mouth, and then they would take a rubber mallet and put round toothpicks underneath my fingernails and my toenails until they came out the top, and then they would rip them off. Another therapy. I can't can't imagine going through this as a child. It it was horrible. Uh, Another therapy that they did, they had a table that they strapped us down to, 
and they would all lay hands on us. Well, it was one at a time. It was always me. There was a couple of times that there were other kids that they would bring in there, but that's when they made us do sexual acts together. But on this one table, they would strap us down. Um, part of my therapy that I'm in now, because I have, I'm doing rapid resolution therapy and regular trauma therapy, is that I'm trying to disassociate the experience from my brain and just it was my body, it wasn't me. But that's why I'm saying us. But after we were strapped down, the they would beat us with the Bible and then lay hands on us, and then they would bring in these other men, and they did whatever they wanted to to us. Um, and I mean anything they wanted to do, and we, we were, there was no way to do anything to stop them. And I was raped 11 times and orally raped 15 times in the 17 weeks I was there. Now that we oh have found God. them and we know who they are, the first thing I had to do was make sure that these people were them. So when I joined the survivor group, and Teresa really helped with this because my triggers and my uh, I shake 24-7 now. Uh, I pushed it away and, and kept it as deep inside of me as long as I could, but it, it was going to come out. And when it, I wrote the book, that was the turning point for me. We got the pictures of the men who ran the place, and instantly I recognized three of them. I knew exactly who they were. And then Teresa drove me over, and we went to the compound, and the building is still standing. No, it's dilapidated, but where they put me is still standing. There's still the chain link fence. It's about a 12-foot fence around the church compound and then the the other buildings with a road through the middle. And there were two compounds on the grounds. One was for the girls and the other one was for the boys. But where they had the gays, um, we never saw the light of day. We did not leave. If we weren't in our cage, then we were in one of the torture rooms or we were scrubbing the floors with a toothbrush. That I, We never spoke. I, one time, to another person there, in the 17 weeks I was there, and that's when I got punished and they strung me up for a day and a half. Um, we did find a connection after... I was able to positively identify the men. I didn't know their names, but I even gave them the descriptions of these people before I saw the pictures, and it was dead on. Uh, and then the other survivors started telling me about where they heard about the boys that were in the cages and the molestation and things like that. So the connection between the Worldwide Church of God and it was New Bethany and Longstreet were the two compounds that were in Arcadia, goes back to Ambassador College, which was in Big Sandy, Texas, and Lester Roloff, who is the IBF person who started, him and Matt Ford started New Bethany and Longstreet, bought land from the Worldwide Church of God. So they were connected. Wow. The, my parents believed this man when I was 12 years old, that because of my mannerisms, I was demon-possessed. Um, 
that took me down a path that I did not want to go. And there are things in the book that I just, I was able to write it, but I'm not able to talk about it, not even in therapy. Now, the hypnosis that I'm doing in therapy, because I want my life back, and I'm getting it back. So I'm going to do any and everything I can within reason. I don't want a lobotomy, but... um, (laughs) That's understandable. I want my life back. I did manage to get this filed in the the court system before my statute of limitations was over. Um, We had five weeks once I went to the district attorney's office before my statute was up. Um, The DA lied to me. Uh, I knew he lied the second he lied, so I went to another parish, told my story, and was able to get my um, the case number. They took it. They filed it. They put it in the system. The district attorney in um, Bienville Parish told me that the state police flew over where I said I was and there were no buildings there, and I picked up my phone because my friend Teresa had already taken me there, <laughs> and I showed him the building. Then I went to the state police, and the state police said, Mr. Swift, we have no idea what you're talking about. We haven't flown over anything. So I called the ACLU, and they put me in touch with some local attorneys here, and I met with them last Friday. So they're reviewing everything, and I hope to hear back from them because the main man, the main one, is still alive, and he is the one that was one of the – He raped me several times while I was there, and he was arrested. This this kills me. He was arrested one week after I was sent home from Longstreet for abusing boys. Oh, my gosh. Pled down in the state court to a misdemeanor. And they sent him right back to the boys he was abusing. He left here. How in the world do they get by with that? At religious liberty. They sued the state of Louisiana for lost income, and this is 1981, of $800,000 a month that they were making from this girls and boys home. And the state caved. Well, then Larry went to South Carolina, opened another home for boys and was arrested there for abusing boys and he didn't go to jail and now when the victims the survivors come forward then the court system treats us like we're the criminals my entire life I've had to deal with what they put me through and then when they sent me home I was there 17 weeks my mom and dad met me at the door and said you're not our son So I had to go out on the street. And you know how a 15-year-old earns a living on the street? You either sell yourself or you steal. And I did both, which led to even more rape, more abuse, more beatings. Um, But I have a spirit in me that will not die. Managed to get enough money to pay for one week in a motel, I had gone to New Orleans. Um, During that week, I found out to to work at the hotel, you had to live there. 
They needed a desk clerk and a housekeeper. I took both positions. I had already gone to beauty school whenever I moved in with my aunt before then. And then I went to makeup school and massage school while I lived at the motel, supported myself, and my brother came to live with me while I was at the the motel because my dad said that if he knew that he was going to have a fag and a retard for sons, we'd have both been aborted. So my dad was going to put my brother in a home, and I said, no, uh, if you'll give him to me, I'll take him. And I was 17, and he's still with me, and I'm 49. And we worked our way up from there. David worked in the motel. I did. Uh, We just, when I moved out of the motel into an apartment, then David worked for the apartment complex. I did hair and makeup. I was doing the drag shows. And it was all all wonderful. Um, My problem that I'm having now is that I'm not getting justice. Um, The Bienville Parish DA has basically said, well, I don't believe you, even though we have so many other survivors that I have talked to since I found them. And there was even these other girls from the New Bethany part that came down in 2013, and there was a big to-do about them being raped and the abuse that they went through. The same DA shut them down, said the grand jury, said the statute of limitations was up, and it wasn't. There was a big story on 2020, and I can talk to anybody here, anybody, and they're like, well, we've never heard of this. And it was open from the 70s until 2012. How places have been open that long? That's incredible. Now with the conversion therapy, because there are states that are starting to ban it, on juveniles. If you're an adult and you want to put yourself through it, then nine times, you know, go knock yourself out. But on juveniles, it, it it's ruined my life. It has made me a very, I don't know what the word would be, a broken person to survive that and then try to go on with a normal life afterwards. It's impossible. But to stop the government from shutting down these conversion therapy places, they're starting to move them overseas. The parents have to sign over custody of the kids to these people and these churches, and then they fly or take ships and they take you to watch Kidnap for Christ. It will break your heart. Um, but there's no regulation. In the state of Louisiana, actually, it was signed into law by George W. Bush that these are religious institutions and there is absolutely zero regulation whatsoever. The fire marshal could not even come in when I was there. If a kid escapes... It's amazing to me the amount of things people get by with under the religious claim, you know. To One say, thing you know, that oh, we're going to beat yeah. our children, you know, it's our our religious belief. I, I just don't understand how we can allow that to happen. Well, later in life, when I did speak to my father about it, they charged him $25,000 for the 17 weeks I was there. When he wouldn't pay more money because they said the demon was too strong, they sent me home. They told him not to believe one word I said, 
that I was completely taken over by a demon and to not even let me in the house because I was going to drag them and my brother to hell with me. So they didn't. And eventually, with other things, my mother committed suicide. Um, it That cult, the Worldwide Church of God, and the what happened at New Bethany and Longstreet ruined what family unit we had and it was it was not repairable it wasn't they would take these big pieces of ice this happened at the conversion therapy and you would have to pick them up with your hands they were about the size of a softball and then they would take duct tape and tape your hands around it where you couldn't let go and about 10 minutes in the pain was excruciating. And then they would speak in tongues and lay their hands on me and hit me with the Bible. Or uh, in one, well, not it happened more than once, but they had a this ring that they would wedge in your mouth so you couldn't close your mouth. And then they would take time, turns raping your throat with uh, doing what they do when the ring was in your mouth because you couldn't bite. And these pedophiles that were there, the state knew about it. Other kids had told them when they escaped, and all they did was take them back. I spoke to one officer from back then that said he regretted taking any of the kids back and that he even whenever he was off duty would drive by there and in the surrounding areas to see if he did find a kid, he would take them someplace else instead of returning them. But if they escaped and then he sent them back home, the parents sent them right back. And I, I will never understand with all the, the, the abuse allegations started in the late 70s, and they were never investigated, never. But now, like, for the religious freedom thing and all that, I've always had a very low opinion of Christians because I thought they were all the same. Utopia changed that for me, too, because I now have many Christian friends, and they've explained to me that the actions that I went through were not at the hands of true Christians. And I understand that now, and I have a much better outlook, and I have more hope because of it because they all don't think that way. Yeah, I I just don't understand how adults can get by with that and uh, say that that's okay, you know, to do that to a child, a helpless child that has no no way to do anything to to help themselves. You know, they're no, that was impossible. And people ask, have asked me since they've read the book, well, why didn't you fight? I did. But you can't fight them all. You cannot and fight all don't understand, men all No, and people don't understand what having a childhood like that does to a person, even into adulthood. You know, some people think, oh, well, that was in your past. You can just move on. No. I wish it was that easy. It, it damages you for life when you have a childhood like that. And right. <clears throat> well, it, even it my leaves scars now. on you that never, you know, go away. And I, I'm so thankful that you're getting the help that you're getting now because you have to have that kind of help to have some semblance of a real life 
can't well, I just have do two, it on your own. Two medical doctors and two therapists. And I see all four of them at least once a month. But the therapist I see once a week. Uh, the I've got to tell you this. Now, for people who have been through trauma, the rapid resolution therapy, um, it is, it's life-changing because in the hypnosis, I'm able to go back in the memory and rescue myself. I, I know that sounds crazy. And when they first told me about it, I was like, yeah. But it's true. You can go in, in your subconscious, and you can take yourself out of that situation. Does it make it all go away? No. But you're able to show the inner child that you survived it. Because I was hoping somebody was just going to kill me when I was 15. I was praying for it. But they didn't. They came close. But then after that, I became more of an activist when I got older and started making money. And then once in New Orleans, I was attacked and stabbed because I was standing up for gay rights. And then once in North Carolina, again, I was attacked, beaten, and stabbed severely. And that's where the rest of the PTSD came from is because – and every, both attacks, both attacks. Both the, – the two men in the first one told me that God hated me, and in the second one, there was at least five men that were beating and stabbing me, and the whole time they quoted Leviticus. And when you see these, when I see these people on television or in print or online, and they're talking about the evils of the LGBT community, I want to say shut up because the people on the fringe of your movement are the ones that are going out there and they're attacking people. I don't know why I lived. I have no idea both attacks could have been deadly. And I even went to Matthew Shepard's funeral because I have so much survivor's guilt with Leela and all these other uh, LGBT people that have died. Why did I live? And I can only think it's so I can get this message out there um, because somebody's got to talk. And the, even the other survivors from where I was, they're like, I would never be able to say what you're saying. Well, either I say it or I die with it. So I'm going to say it because I'm not ready to die. There you go. I I wanted to ask you, you know, what it was like for you to, as you wrote the book, you know, to go back to these, you know, childhood memories and, just revisit them. I know it had to be very painful for you. What was it like as you were writing the book? Um, did you have would, someone there with you helping you through that Teresa, process? My friend Teresa helped me tremendously. And so did so many that I call my online family. Some of my first people that started following me are still with me now. And I know each one of them. I know their kids. I know um, their work. I, we are a family, and it's just growing by the day. But I would write. Uh, sometimes I could write one sentence before the the triggers would start, and, and I shake so bad at times because I'm a hairdresser and a makeup artist, and I do drag. I love it. I shake so bad I can't cut hair anymore, and I shake so bad I can't even put on makeup. 
So the two things that have always gotten me through life, my livelihood where I can make a, a living, are temporarily on hold until we can get the tremors from the PTSD under, well, it's CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But um, until I can get that under control, I didn't even know how I was going to survive. And who knew the book? But um, I would have people contact me, and I had no problem putting my, my home phone number and address and everything out there until somebody tried to poison my dogs, and then I had to... Oh, my gosh. You're kidding me. No. uh, Last December, uh, the way that my yard is set up, the porch, and then there's a gate I can open on the porch so the girls can go out into the fence yard. I have three dogs, Cocker Spaniel Jewel, the oldest Pomeranian, Ruby, and her daughter, Coco. And that's another book I'll talk about in a minute. But um, I happened to look out into the yard before I opened the gate, and I saw something. I was like, no, I've got to go see what that is because I don't want them to eat anything bad. And sure enough, it was fried chicken that somebody had taken the blue rat pellets that you put in your house, the decon, and they'd stuffed it all in this chicken and threw it in my yard to kill my dogs. Oh, I called my the gosh. Police. I can't believe somebody would do that. I've had a swastika and dye fag painted on my front door. I've had dye fag scratch into the glass on my uh, windows on my car. Um I've, you just would not believe that I do not leave this house without thinking, is this the day I'm going to die? I can go to Walmart and someone is going to call me a faggot because of my mannerisms before I can leave. And I'm 49 years old and I just want to turn around and say, shut the hell up. But I can't, I can't do it. If I confront them, I'm going to freeze and then I won't even be able to defend myself. And I've had people say, get a gun. No, I can't do that because I'd shoot them. (laughs) And then I'm going to jail. Oh, my gosh. This world is just so cruel today. You know, I don't understand. But it's not just today. It's not for for the LGBT community. This has been going on since at least the 70s to where the attacks and the the everything because we're an abomination. That's what I kept hearing all the time, and I heard it a lot in conversion therapy, and I heard it a lot from my parents. This has been going on for so long. The older LGBT people that I talk to, and I'm 49, so I'm talking about like my drag mother, Mother Bob. She was in her 70s. And the things that she would even tell me, I'm like, what is wrong with people? I've been arrested for dancing with a man. It used to be illegal for two men to dance together. So they would come into the club. We usually had somebody outside to flip a light switch to let us know the police were coming. We didn't get that warning. They came in and I was arrested for dancing with my boyfriend. And You're kidding me. Are no, you serious? Have, I'm very serious. And I have been arrested before when I first started doing drag, because it was a law, you had to have on three articles of men's clothing. And I did not know a wristwatch didn't count. So I was arrested and taken to jail for being a pervert. Oh, my gosh. And then the... I had no idea there was some of those laws. I mean, those are such antiquated laws. I can't even believe those are still on the books. In today's day, when we have... So many more issues. I don't care if it was even in the 70s. There's so many more issues 
right. at hand that we need to be dealing with that. Well, it's in the state of Louisiana. Why it's do still they illegal. care? I have no idea. Just like with the bathroom issue. I mean, who? I, I, I've that came up when I was on the show with one of the other people that, well, he was gone um, by the time I got there. But the thing about, well, I don't want a man in the restroom with my wife and my daughter. A transsexual does not identify as a man. What they don't understand is before you can have any type of surgery, you have to live and dress as the other sex for one year. And all the attacks transgendered people in the restroom are because they are going to their biological restroom, either dressed in a dress or go, the girls going into the the ladies' room looking like men, and that's where the trouble happens. So if you just eliminate the fact that they cannot go, don't make the man in a dress go into the men's room because he's not going to get out of there without getting hurt. Trust me on that one, especially down here in the South. But in Louisiana, I can still be fired from my job because I'm gay and it's 100% legal. I can be kicked out of a rental property because I'm gay and it's 100% legal. I cannot give me. blood. Mm-mm. I cannot That's give legal? blood. It's legal. And I, it's against the law for me to be an organ donor, even though I'm HIV negative and I have papers to prove it. So oh all these people. Oh, my gosh. That nobody even listens. I have been screaming and screaming, saying we've got to, for me, before the, the legalized same-sex marriage came along, my biggest concern, and it still is, is the conversion therapy. Because these kids, I could have turned out a lot worse than I, I did. But I can tell you the amount of anger and rage and hatred that I have stored inside of me, if I was not going to these wonderful doctors now, it would have all come out at one time and it would not have been pretty. Well, I'm glad that you're getting the conversion therapy. It sounds like Louisiana needs some conversion therapy. The whole South <laughs> needs some conversion <laughs> therapy. <laughs> An enema. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so what does it mean um as you're getting all of these awards and accolades on your very first book. And I also wanted to ask you, can fans have an impact by leaving positive comments about your book on different sites? Oh, yes. Uh, the I have the, All the reviews I've gotten so far are all five-star reviews, and people are just loving Rusted Rhinestones. Uh, it's a very tough book to read, but also I throw in my sense of humor, so there is times you laugh, there's times you cry, and there's times you just don't want to put it down and walk away because you're disgusted. When I found out that I had been nominated for the Next Generation Indie Book Award, I was honored. And then I just kind of forgot about it. But I've been nominated for four different awards. This was the first one to come up. And when they told me that I'd won in the nonfiction category, I could not believe it. Um, I, I saw two typos in it when I read it, but they're tiny little things. And, oh, and the people that have made the comment about the koi fish, I spelled it C-O-Y. I did that on purpose because my dad's name was Koi, and uh, I wanted to get all my family, my mom, my dad, and my brother's name in there. So that's why that is that way. So it wasn't a typo. Um, but the people listening 
reading the book and then listening to what I had to say and then coming back with positive feedback instead of like what I got from the district attorney's office in uh, Bienville Parish being so negative and, and one saying, well, I don't believe a word you're saying. And I was like, well, hook me up to a lie detector. Um, the, the positive reinforcement has been life changing um, to the point where I have hope that if I do nothing else in this life, I'm going to bring attention to this. Um, a big part of my, my time now since my story came out, and especially on the social media, on my CC Frost page, I get contacted by children who have been put out of their home by their parents, and I make arrangements for them to get into a shelter, and I get them off the street. If I can't get them off the street, then I take clean clothes and food to them twice a week. And you know who has helped me and who has paid for a lot of this and for me to even get the paperwork done for me to start my charity? My online yeah. family. My online family. My followers, my supporters on Facebook and Twitter will send me money when I need to go help these kids. Or they'll send me food. I've had food delivered, clothes, uh, gift cards, and it's really Well, I wanted to let you moving. know, you have a couple of them in our chat room. Um, one is Barbie Edgell Winterhalder. Barbie is my book editor. She's fabulous. And, and she's also the a other friend. is Kendra Wright. She was in our chat room. She's not there right now, but I, I hopefully she'll be coming right back in. Um, our chat room is having a little bit of difficulty tonight, so uh, people are having a little bit of has a little little trouble in the chat room once in a while. Um, it's not always the easiest chat room to join, so um, sometimes people well, lose sound and have to go out and come back in again. So uh, Kendra was in there, and they both said to tell you hi, and they love and adore you and no, are I in there talking about how sweet you are and how you would give your last dime to a perfect stranger. So... You've got some would, very, very, very loyal fans. <laughs> See, um, when winning the book award, now there's an award ceremony the 11th of this month, but that's in Chicago. I'm not going to be able to make that. But then the book will be presented as a winner at Book America, and they'll promote my book, and then it's going from there to the New York City Expo, and it'll be promoted there as well. So I am thrilled. And because of my activism and my book, this this week, actually, um, I was invited by Miss Margaret Cho to come see her show and be her guest. And so I get to meet one of my idols in just a few days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love her. I do, too. And she is so sweet and she is so kind. And now she'll send me messages and she's like, Especially if I'm if I post I've had a panic attack or what's going on, and she'll be send me something. She's like, "I'm loving you," and I'm like, "Oh, I love you too." So it's going to be a big hug fest. But uh, I will be seeing her Thursday. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh! I bet you're so excited. I am, and I'm going to post all kind of pictures. Um, and then I made her up. I do. I make costumes. I mean, when I first started doing drag, they wouldn't let you into a, uh, a women's clothing store to save your life to buy something. So we all had to sew. So I sew. 
and I made her a wonderful baseball cap, and you'll see the pictures once I post them because it is so over the top. It's fabulous. I hand-beaded it, and then I've got these antique brooches that I'm putting on the other parts. Oh, they're, it's fabulous. And then I had another idea with my dogs because they uh, – Coco is my registered therapy dog, and a children's book, and Ruby takes Coco to the dog park for the first time. And then as Ruby and Coco are walking through the dog park, they're going to see the different dogs with their owners, whether it be a same-sex couple or an interracial couple or a single mom or whatever. And Coco's going to ask, and then Ruby's going to explain that we just love our owners, our people, for whoever they are, because they're going to love us. And that's the message that I want to send out to the kids. Don't be judgmental. I think it's great that you're going to continue writing, and I love, love, love that you're going to do the the storybook about the dogs and make it like a children's book. I think that is just incredible. I because there are kids out there that need to have some guidance in this area, and mm-hmm. using using the dogs. Dogs are they don't call me man's best friend for, for no reason. Everybody loves dogs, and we all can have that bond. You know, we all have that bond with our dogs, and right. to tell a story through them is such a great idea, I'm and taking, I think that's going to be such a great hit. I'm incorporating other of my online family of their dogs and their living situation as some of the different people that are in the the dog park. Uh, so each one is inspired by someone who has reached out to me to tell me their story. And that I thought was really special, and they gave me permission. Of course, I'm changing the names and stuff like that, but they gave me permission to use the gist of it because it was something that they wanted out there. Um, the book that I'm almost finished with now is called Trans Trap, and it's my first work of fiction. And it is a very modern twist on a murder mystery where our hero starts out as a boy, and when she becomes our heroine, she's a girl because she's transsexual. It's very modern. I'm very proud of the storyline, and it is very, very intricate with plot twists. You'll never know what's happening until the last page. Wow, that sounds really cool. I didn't even know I had this in me to write this stuff. It's just like they say, when one door closes, a window opens. And I'm just so thankful that, well, I've always been creative, but I just never knew I could write anything. Well, obviously you now found a new passion and yes. you're doing so well with it. Um, it's almost like you've you've hit hit the street running now, and you can't stop. And I'm so glad because everyone is really loving your work, and I'm so happy that you know. I think the first book was quite therapeutic, and you got your story yeah. out, and that was so important. Now you're going to be able to you know, just tell whatever story you want and be wide open 
and helped so many people. And I I know yes. that's what you're going to do. Um, you've already talked to me about it, and yes, you have so many plans for helping others, and I think that's you have such a big heart. Well, and I really that's appreciate really that. That's really all you have want to do is help others, and that's my whole goal. That's so uh, amazing. Since I left, since I left Utopia, I have taken over 300 homeless LGBT kids off the streets. I've had a direct hand in getting them either into foster care or a shelter or with a family member or something. But it's when they call me, when I get the call or the message on my Fifi page, I immediately get in my car and I'm on the road. Uh, You would not believe the situation that some of these kids, when I found them, I've had to take some straight to the emergency room. Um, Some, I would get them to meet me at the police station. And so I could explain why I'm I'm there and where I'm going with this kid. But I have a network of people that I have been building up for over 20 years uh, from doing charity shows and back when we were doing AIDS uh, fundraisers and things like that to if if a kid contacts me from Texas, then I know someone in Texas to put them in contact with so that they can get help. But if they're close enough to me, then I I just take care of it myself. Um, I will call and make the arrangements, and then if I have to, I will stay with them until we can get the police involved or whatever it is we need to do to get them in another home and away from the abusive home that they're in, or if they're on the streets, I'm taking them food and clothes. Some don't want to go. They do not want to go to any type of shelter. And those are the ones that I fear for the most. And I have had one that really breaks my heart every time I think about him. I got him placed with his aunt. Um, his dad was very abusive to him, and he was starting to really make a change, and he was 15. And then I got the email from the aunt that he killed himself. Uh, he just couldn't oh deal with gosh. the rejection. And I broke. I know for a week that I could not even get out of bed. I was so devastated. And now I know he's one of my guardian angels. Um, I can't, I don't want to lose another one. So I don't care if they call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm gone. I'm going. That's all there is to it. My brother knows it. He's like, I'll just put on Facebook. I've got, you know, I've got to go do my duty. Um, And people know. And, um, my passion is nobody helped me until I was on a reality TV show. And then they got to hear my story, and then they started helping me with certain things. I had to do it all myself before. And I think about these kids and what I went through and what I had to do on the streets and how some of the people that I knew then were murdered when they were out hooking and and things like that. And two of my closest friends in life have been murdered strictly because they were gay. And I cannot stand the thought of them being out there. And I can't stand the thought America of conversion therapy on minors still being legal. And you can Google these places and you still hear of all these horror stories and it's legal. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. I'm I'm certain that it haunts you to this day, you know, as you lay your head on your pillow at night just wondering, you know, if there's someone out there that needs your help. 
And I know there is. That has I know to be, they're there. That has to be hard, you know, to know that there's somebody out there that that needs you and you just want to reach out and be there for them. But just from you're doing where all I you was, can do. We found over and by writing your books, you're you're gaining more and more momentum. Yes, and, I am, and especially with the ACLU, and then um, the the issue with opening my shelter now here is that I want to take kids that are underaged because I was underaged when my parents put me out, and 90% of the kids that have contacted me have been underaged. But the state of Louisiana says that you have to be 17. That's the youngest that you can go into a shelter. Um, we've got to change that. These kids, well, if it's legal for them to throw their kids away, then it should be legal for me to at least feed them and put a roof over their head and fix it where they can get their GED and learn a trade. Okay. Well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I certainly hope. No, I, I certainly agree with you. And I I think that by doing what you're doing, you're writing your books and getting more momentum, getting more notoriety out there, and also getting more monetary, you know, games that you'll be able to do the things that you want to do, more resources every, available to you, that you'll be able to get the things done that you want to do. And I'm so, every, so very proud of you. Thank you. Every cent from every book sale that I get goes to the kids and to the opening the shelter, every single penny, and I've got the papers to prove it. Well, I can't wait to to see what your future books are and read those and see where this goes. I know that you're going to help many, many kids and just flourish from here. It has been such a pleasure to have you on tonight and talk with you. And I think this is just the beginning. I think we'll be having you back on the show in the future to talk about more books and get more of your story. And I just want to hear more and more of you. Um, It's been a, a great time to have you on the show tonight, but I feel like I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do we do have our, our second guest on the switchboard, so you're yeah. more than welcome to stay with us if you'd like. Um, yes, I would love to. I am, okay, I am going to bring Stacy up, but I want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight, talking about Rusted Rhinestones. Could you tell people really quickly where they can go to get your book and where it means the most for them to leave those great comments, because I want people to know where those wonderful, you know, where the best comments mean okay, the most. The, the, my personal author page is at Amazon.com backslash author backslash Fifi Frost. Um, I have reviews on Smashwords. I have reviews on Amazon. Kindle and create spaces where the paperback comes from and then Goodreads. Um, the two of the book awards that I'm nominated for are strictly because of my 
um, the comments left about the book and that they are so strong and they are so good. So if they read, please leave a good rec- uh, comment or a recommendation because that just attracts more people and I can finally get my shelter open because the, the money is all for the kids, every penny of it. And I really appreciate y'all having me. So thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you for joining us tonight, and we will definitely have you back on. I want to thank everybody out there who joined us tonight in the chat room to listen to you. You have a lot of faithful fans, and, and they absolutely adore you. Um, thank you so much, Kendra. Thank you, everybody out there who's joining us tonight to listen to James. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, those are two that we're chatting in the chat room the most. I just wanted to give them a shout out. Um, but we are going to get, go ahead and bring up our second guest and have her join us. But James, I just want to say thank you. And I am so, so proud of you. And we will have you back um, to talk about Rusty Rhinestones right. again and your future books as well, because I know they're going to be I a appreciate hit. So, and big hugs, y'all. <laughs> Um, big hugs to you back, babe. So right. let's welcome our second guest. We now have Stacy Juba joining us. Hi, Stacy. How are you tonight? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to start off by saying thank you for joining us. And I know that you wrote, we had you back on uh, with Michelle Costa a few years back after you wrote Sink or Swim. And that book was about reality TV. And you have written a a number of books since then. So I guess my first question is, can you sort of go over a little bit of, I guess, the books that you've written since Sink or Swim and give us just a little bit of a synopsis of what each one is about. Sure. Um, so I think the first one after Sink or Swim was my young adult hockey novel, Face Off, which actually I had originally published that um, when I was 18 years old back in the 1990s, and it went out of print. And then I decided to bring it back into print with um, the advent of Kindle and um, Nook and the growth of ebooks that was something I was able to do, and I was even able to make it an audible audiobook. Um, so that's about two brothers who don't get along and are forced to compete on the same high school hockey team, and that's aimed at teenagers. Um, the next one was Dark Before Dawn, which was another um, young adult book, um, and that is about teen psychics um, who are in a main beach town and kind of freaky things <laughs> start happening. Um, and then my most recent one was Fooling Around with C- Cinderella, which just came out last fall, and that's the first book in a new series, um, a storybook, storybook Valley series, and um, all the books are going to be set at a theme park, um, a fairy tale theme park, and it's a chiclet romantic comedy. Um, the first one is about a marketing coordinator who goes for a job interview, and the 
um, hot general manager, <laughs> officer, um, mm-hmm. job in marketing, but he also, but for the summer, he needs a Cinderella because all his Cinderellas have been flicking out on him. So um, it's kind of a fun, upbeat story about how she um, gains some self-confidence and ultimately um, hopefully finds her Prince Charming. <laughs> and I'm currently writing the next book in the series, which is called Prancing Around with Sleeping Beauty. I'm about halfway through that one. Wow. So now that you're writing a series of books, is it fun to have a plot that continues on from book to book? Definitely. I'm finding I'm writing a lot faster and it's just a lot easier because I already know um, so many of the characters. So like in each book, um, it's, it's going to have a different romantic lead, um, but all the recurring characters will be the same and the same setting. So um, the first book, um, Fooling Around with Cinderella, is about Jane and Dylan. Um, the second book, um, the Sleeping Beauty book, they're both in it, but they have a supporting role. The main character is actually Dylan's sister, Rory, um, who is her real name is Aurora, which is hence the Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> so it's it's fun. There's a lot of quirky characters, like the grandfather. Um, he he uh, has a thing about garden gnomes. You know those little <laughs> garden gnome statues. He goes around like hiding them and stealing them and <laughs> things like that. So there's a lot of quirky characters and fun settings. And uh, I got engaged at Disney World, so I love theme parks. So it's really fun to just be able to write about such a um, fun, entertaining place. Wow, I know somebody else who got, just got engaged at Disney World um, just, just a few months ago. So, And he's a oh, reality really? star, yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, um, didn't you meet your husband as a journalist? I did. We both worked for a, a daily newspaper. Um, I was... I, for my first book, actually, 25 years ago today, is about an Obert writer and editorial assistant, and she's also an aspiring reporter. Um, I actually got some of that um, background information because that's how I started. I, I was an Obert writer. Um, I did, like, weddings and birth announcements and edit, um, editorial assistant um, tasks, and eventually I became a reporter. Um, but when I started, he was a sports writer, um, and we were just friends for about – I don't know, about a year, a little bit less than a year. And then um, then we started kind of working together at night. Um, he was coming back after games, like typing things up. And by that time, I was I was a reporter and um, coming back after town meetings and things like that. So we got to know each other better. And, yeah, ultimately we got married. <laughs> wow. That's pretty interesting. I never thought about, you know, the people that, that write for papers and, go back and, you know, write their stories in the evenings like that after events. And I bet you do. You know, it's it's kind of what happens. You work closely with people, and that's who you're, you know, you associate with, and you, you meet somebody that you click with, and before you know it, there you go. Yep. You're often married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was unexpected, but <laughs> and neither one of us is actually working for a newspaper anymore. He's a teacher and um I'm obviously writing Aww. and editing, but so I'm glad we both started there though. <laughs> yeah, it certainly gave you the right platform, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> um so you started writing quite young. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I started writing um, like fifth grade. I was writing my own mystery series and entering contests. And by high school, I was submitting stories and getting rejected. <laughs> I was submitting stories to different magazines. And then wow. I, there was like this competition, this Avon Flair Young Adult Novel competition. Like in the backs of a lot of the young adult books I was reading, they had like um, kind of advertisements for it, like promoting how you could enter. And then I remember reading like Tiger Beat magazine and it had uh, it had something on the previous winner. So I kind of always had it in my head that I wanted to enter that contest. So I wrote Face Off um, I was really into hockey back then. It was kind of like after the 88 Olympics, I got really into it. And then I got into the Bruins, which was my home team. Um, the I Boston Bruins. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote, wrote it during um, high school study hall and then sent it off. And then I found out my freshman year in college that had gotten published. So, so that was a really great experience. And that kind of set me on the path that I did want to go into writing. For a while, I wasn't entirely sure, but... Um, that kind of getting reviews and getting letters from kids and everything. Um, people seeming to like what I wrote that just kind of built my confidence. That's incredible. So to write your first book while you're still in high school, you find out that it's been published your first year of college. That has to be pretty amazing. Yeah, that was exciting. I remember this was like before email or anything, so I got a telegram. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is this? And then it said, you know, call us. You wow. And I'm like, is this like a joke or something? But <laughs> so it was exciting. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I may have to check out Face Off. I'm, my husband and I both are huge hockey fans. And as a matter of fact, that's the only sport that we follow. And oh, right really? now we're in yeah. the middle of Stanley Cup playoffs, and our St. Louis Blues are battling it out with Dallas right now. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's the only sport that we watch. Um, so I might have to check that one out. Um, <laughs> my husband is an avid reader, and I read some, not quite as much as he does, but uh, he has a Kindle, and... We will certainly check that out. Um, oh, thanks. But yeah. I know I read Sink or Swim, which is a great book. And I wanted to ask you, is that what got you so involved in the reality TV community? Yeah. Um, I, I was looking for a way to kind of get the word out. And um, I, I, that's how I met Michelle. Like, I was... Um, I'm actually not sure, quite sure how we connected. I can't remember, but I was putting out the word to, to different to reality TV show community that I was looking for, like former reality show contestants, reality show stars to interview. So she wound up doing a interview on my blog, um, and I had several others um, who were on it, uh, uh, like on my blog, like Rory Bushfield from Splash was. Um, well, I had. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was like several people, like from, um, I think, uh, the Bachelorette. Um, I had somebody from there, so um, just a lot of different shows. So it was, and then I started this Twitter newspaper, um, like Reality TV Today, that just kind of comes out, and I it just kind of randomly um, picks people who are tweeting about reality shows to do a little newspaper. Um, 
So it's that fun. was my next question. Um, can you tell us a little about the reality TV um, newsletter that you do? How did you get started with that, and what gave you that idea, and how often does it come out? How can people get it? Um, um, it's thing. on something called um, Paper Lee, which is it's, it, it puts out like different, it's kind of interesting, like it puts out different um, newspapers that you can set up. So I have one for reality TV. I have one for diabetes um, because my, my eight-year-old daughter has diabetes. So I so I um, so basically you just have different lists that you can set up and then um, it will, I don't actually do anything for the paper other than tell it which lists or which keywords to, to pull from. Um, but it will like randomly every day like put out a put out like a little newspaper and then it will send out an automatic tweet to the to the people that were um, mentioned in it to a few of the people that were mentioned in it. So um, if you see that tweet on my um, my Twitter stream, you can just if you click on it, then it um, you can go to it and then it, there's like a subscribe button. So it's kind of it's, I also used to do one for hockey and. Um, and then I I also do one for like they call the red white and blue because I have a children's book called um, the flag keeper which is about patriotism so the red white and blue papers just kind of pulls from different um, military family um, sites and things like that um, yeah so it's, it's it's a good way just to kind of get help people get their news out more interesting I know we've uh, enjoyed being involved in the reality TV newsletter a number of times and uh, it's always caught my eye so yeah sometimes people oh, want yeah. what it is and, but it kind of makes them curious and then they click on it and then if it's like it's something if, like, if they're interested in reality TV then they'll like subscribe to it and then um, they'll just see it like in their Twitter streams or I think you can even get like an email if you wanted to alright so that's really cool that you know, you don't have to to do a lot of work to put it out, but it still connects with all of your your fan base. Right, right. Every once in a while, I try to remember to go in and to switch up the reality shows because <laughs> you can have different keywords. I think I have like the Bachelor and Big Brothers. Every once in a while, I go in and switch it. Right. So, I was just thinking I should switch it to Dancing with the Stars because that's like my new favorite reality show. <laughs> Um, so out of all of your books so far, do you have one that is like closest to your heart? What, which one um, is, is like closest to Stacy? I think, um, fooling around with Cinderella just cause that was such a, um, new direction for me writing romantic comedy and, it was just felt I was never ever would, would have seen myself writing in that genre, like chiclet and romantic comedy. I always thought, you know, I was a mystery writer and that was what I was going to write. So I was kind of really, um, it kind of pushed my limits and went in a different direction, helped me grow as a writer. Um, and the other thing about it is that for a while it was hard to finish because my um, daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was in kindergarten. And I, at the time, I was. Mm in the middle of, of writing the book and then it was just I just didn't feel like writing anything or writing a romantic comedy anymore so um, 
I just had to put it aside for a while while I learned about diabetes and how to take care of her and find the right doctor and everything. So it was several months before I was able to pick it back up again. And um, the fact that I was able to finish it and go back to it and that kind of symbolized to me that we had some normalcy in our lives again. And I was, I was the fact that I was able to finish writing a romantic comedy, um, that's, I think that's what makes it special to me. And I'm really looking forward to writing more books in the series and getting to know the characters better and um, having more fun things happen in Storybook Valley. <laughs> I could hear your voice when I asked you earlier if you enjoyed writing the series of books. You sounded, you know, like it, you're really enjoying it. So um, it sounds like something that, that you're really really into and that's always a good thing because the more you're enjoying it the better you're going to write and the more everybody's going to enjoy it so it sounds like this is going to be a really good series for you right I hope so <laughs> I have a lot of plans I, for it so <laughs> that's it great it sounds really good yeah <laughs> it sounds really good I'm going to have to get that first book and and be done with it before you get finished with the second one. <laughs> yeah, i got to pick up the pace a bit more on the second one, but it's getting there. <laughs> so how's your daughter? Um, that's got to be really hard to find out that she has type 1 diabetes. And I know it's it's very difficult for you as a mom to find out um has things sort of gotten back to, I mean, have you gotten over that initial shock and now have, you know, sort of everything sort of in a... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something that affects affects our life every day because it's, you know, it's constantly up and down, blood sugars, um, constantly testing and things like that, but it's much better than it was in the beginning because we know what we're doing. We're, she is on a pump now. She's has They have something called the continuous glucose monitor now, which um, which I think is like the best thing ever invented because <laughs> like it beeps when she goes low. Um, so it kind of gives you a heads up. It has arrows telling you what direction the blood sugar is going, like up or down. Um, wow. It'll alert you at night, like if she's going high or low. So um, that's a big thing. Um, we're currently um, organizing a, a fundraiser walk through her school for the um, JDRF, which is um, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So um, I try to do a lot of outreach. Um, I help to start in my area. Um, a group for like New England um, families that are um, like to kind of get together for play dates and things like that, um, a family outing. So um, we just kind of started that a couple months ago to connect with other other families um, with with kids. Um, so I kind of just try to, you know, I kind of you can either you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you deal with it. So I try to set an example of trying to, um, you know, um, just, you know, there's people with a lot worse things and, you know, it's, I wish we didn't, hadn't been dealt this card, but, you know, it's either there's worse things that you could have. So I just try to use our experience to raise awareness about it. Well, I'm certainly glad she has the monitor, um, 
that sounds like a great invention, and I'm I'm sure that it eases your mind that she has it too. I just wish that, you know, it seems like diabetes has increased. I just read an article recently that talked about how much diabetes has increased over like the last 30 years, and it was astounding. And I know my grandmother had it. Um, She initially lost her leg up to the knee and then lost her leg all the way up to the hip and eventually passed away, you know, but she was in a nursing home because, you know, she couldn't get up and move around, and, and it was just a horrible thing. That was when I was a child, so... You know, they didn't have the advances that they have now, but diabetes has been around for so long, and you would think with all the research that they've had that we'd be further along, you know. I I just wish that they could find a cure for diabetes. And definitely, yeah, because um, the type one, which is growing, yeah, especially in kids, and they don't know why. It's like an autoimmune disease that, um, that they just they don't know why. Um, I think um, it's grown like twenty one percent or something since the past in the past few years. Um, you know, the it's biggest just so sad to see these kids yeah. have to deal with that. I tend to think that it has a lot to do with all the chemicals in our food. Right, yeah, like environmental. Putting in our bodies. But I I just think with all the research that over the years, it seems like by now we should be further advanced and we're not. And it's just so sad to see the kids have to suffer as they do. Um, It breaks my heart, and I'll keep you and, and your daughter in my prayers, because I know that's such a hard thing to deal with. Um, you know, yeah, there is worse things to deal with, but it doesn't mean that that's any easier. And it's tough on kids, you know. It, it makes them a little different, and anytime you have something a little different, sometimes you're at risk of being bullied or, you know, you just don't know. Kids can be mean, you know, and you don't want that for your kids. And right. Sometimes, you know, you, I'm sure that you you worry, you know, even though she has a monitor, it's just one of those things that it, it just, I don't know, I just, I feel so bad. It breaks my heart, you know, for any child to have to to go through something like that. So you guys should definitely be in my prayers. And uh, I hope that soon they find something that will, cure diabetes and make it so that she doesn't have to contend with that word ever again. <laughs> right. <And laughs> that's what JD also that would like be, to school is to turn type one into type none. So that's that Yeah, would that would be our, wonderful. Our dream. So what a blessing, yeah. So Stacy, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. I enjoy always seeing you pop up on Twitter and seeing information about your books and what you're doing and I enjoyed Sink or Swim so much and I'm going to have to get busy and check out some of your new books and get them on my Kindle and give those a try and catch up with things that you've been putting out there because I'm a little behind. Um, (laughs) 
But if people are interested, also I have like on under on my website stacygiba.com. There's like a little on the pull down menu. It says extras. Like if they click on that, um, there's a whole bunch of things, and one of them is something called Books for Reality TV Fans, and it's just a whole list of books like other authors I've been teaming up with. We just kind of made a comprehensive list of some of our books that have TV themes or reality TV themes. So, um, and they're all different genres like mystery and romance. And I think there's even a couple um, young adult. And um, so people who like to read or into reality shows would definitely check that out. They might find some other books for their reading list. And so how would they do that again? Could you repeat that one more time? Yep. So they go to my website, stacyjuba.com. Um, and then at the pull-down menu um, up top, if they just kind of poke around till they find extras, um, you click on extras, and then there's a whole bunch of different things. Um, and one of them says books for reality TV fans. Um, and then you click on that, and then it'll just bring you to a list of um, little blurbs for different books with reality TV show themes. So I think there's Great. about 15 or, of them or something. So there's a lot of good books on there. Yeah, I'll have to check that out as well. We do have a caller. Um, I'm not sure if he was calling in to say hi to you or if he was just calling in to chat. So let me check with him and see what he's up to before I let you go. Um, we have Mr. Shytown Joe with us. Hi, Joe. How are you tonight? Joe, are you there? Hi. <laughs> Hi, Joe. I had I had I had you on uh, on uh, speakerphone, and I was speaker just phone? looking to. Yeah, so I had to push a, a couple buttons. So, so yeah, you've had you call you've had, had a, Stacey. Hi, Stacy. How you doing? <laughs> Hi, good. I've I've had uh, uh, diabetes too for years, and. Uh, I mean, I I have to really go in a uh, uh, you know power wheelchair now. I haven't lost any uh, um, things, but uh, you know I have to see a foot doctor and my my uh, blood. I take it five times a day because it's just crazy, you know. Right. Wow. And, and it's a very hard thing, a very hard thing, and and. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you have gotten some uh, relief a little bit, and you know what to do. They have those uh, ones where you they put them on you, and it's automatic, and um, it's outside of the skin, and when it goes up or down, uh, or especially up, of your um, your uh, you know where your target is. It yeah. gives you uh, a automatic shot. You don't even have to touch it. So oh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Th- those are new on the uh, market. If you get that from your doctor, usually you have to have your doctor write you a prescription, and then they will um, they will do you. You know they they have to get you the uh, the thing. She has a pump that we have to do it manually. Well, it does. You know what? It gives her some basal background insulin all all day. It's just if we if she's going to have food or she needs a correction, we have to we have to do it manually. But um, they're talking about like a bionic pancreas coming out in the next 
few years. Oh. Um, and like a, it's actually just a pump, but it's supposed to be a lot more like what you're saying, like how it gives you, it kind of knows if you're going high or low, and it kind of helps to regulate that. And I think they they have a lot, you know, in the works for that now. I think the yeah, like I think there is one that will um, kind of suspend insulin if you're low. So it's really yeah. So there's a lot on the horizon. So I you know bionic pancreas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, they're hoping. Um, initially, they were hoping in 2017 it would be ready, but um, the one that's gonna that one's gonna have two things in it. Um, it's gonna have insulin, but it's also gonna have something called glucagon, which if you're going low, it will um, give you a little bit of that. So we try to prevent you from going low, and then if you're going high, it'll give you some insulin, and it'll just kind of know. <laughs> um, yeah. Apparently, when they, when it comes out initially, they haven't been able to do the glucagon part yet, so it's going to come out, which is insulin, but it will help to regulate and just it'll know when you're going high. And um, So we're really looking forward to that. They're saying um, you'll be able to eat more, a lot more, and just not have to think about it as much. So I feel like we're really fortunate that at least we're in an age of technology because I know my best friend had it in high school, and, you know, that was hard without pumps and... Um, you know, oh, very hard. All these devices, I can imagine how hard it was for you. Oh, it was terrible. I I, had, I didn't get it until after uh, I had uh, open heart surgery. I never knew it. I had it, and then they said, "Oh, yeah, you've had it," you know. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, the open heart was bad enough, and then you had to adjust to to uh, a big thing like that, you know, because right. uh, that's, you have to really watch what you eat and how much, you know, everything, it goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, you can do everything right. And it's, it's still, I always say they should make a reality show of following people with diabetes because people wouldn't believe, wouldn't believe it if they saw how crazy, you know, it goes oh, every sure. day and all the things you have to do. So. Oh, Sure. But I thank you for uh, calling and informing people because it's hard. To, uh, people, it's not something that you you would have your, you know, uh, it's more, it's hard on you to watch your children and stuff like that. And um, But uh, the thing here is, is that, uh, that it's just, you know, I don't know, just it's good to talk about it. Right, yeah, because most people just Make don't people know. Aware. They don't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know the difference between type 1 and type 2. or Oh, yeah, know, for just sure. all the things that you have to do, yeah. That's very true. There's, a, well, say, say, there's an event we're getting ready to do, um, actually, that's coming up next month in June. It's called Reality for Diabetes. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's right, every yeah. year. And... Uh, Write about that on my blog. You'll have to <laughs> send me some information. Yeah, I'll send you the information. Um, the girl that puts it on every year it is just amazing, and uh, her son—I believe her son has it as well—and I think that's why she got started um, doing this. I believe this is a story. So I'll get you her information, and you can make contact with her and uh, maybe do something on the newsletter with that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great 
charity, and she raises a lot of money every single year, and it's getting bigger and bigger every year. So um, a lot of Survivor fans and Survivor alumni go to it, as well as Big Brother and Amazing Race. And uh, it's get, like I said, it's getting bigger each and every year. So we, I'll certainly get you the information, and you can check her out and uh, yeah, great. And we'll get that information out there in the, the newsletter. Yeah. Great. All right. Well. Stacey, thank you so much for calling in tonight. It's been a pleasure having you back on the show. Um, I hope that everything continues to go well with not only your daughter and you and your family, but with this new series. Um, I'm excited that you're writing a romantic uh, series. I think that's that's fun, and it's sort of a comedy, isn't it? Uh, a little lighthearted. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun to read. Um, so I'm really excited for that. And do you know how many books you're going to have in the series, or are you just going to kind of write and see where it goes? Yeah, just kind of write and see where it goes. I have the next few planned, and I'd like to do a couple, like a, like a prequel free story to put it out in Kindle, like in another, other retailers free just to introduce people to it. Um but yeah, just kind of see where it goes. There's a lot of ca- a lot of secondary characters I could see developing into their own stories. So that's the nice that's thing about it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, you you could take that as far as you want to almost, um, and have you know a pretty good series going there. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I, I just thank you so much for coming on and talking with us tonight and letting us know what's up with you. And we'll do it again uh, once a few of these books are out. We'll have you back on and talk about them and let everyone know where where you've been since we've had you on tonight and uh, what's up with the new series. So I, again, really appreciate you coming on tonight. And is there anything else you want to let the fans know before you go? Um, just if they're interested in learning more about my books, they could visit me at www.stacyjuba.com, J-U-B-A. I have some free books on there also. Um, if they just kind of click around the menu at the top, there's um, on the drop-down menu there's something that says free read, so they can find a few um, freebies there. Um, and thank you very much for having me. It's it a lot of fun. I certainly appreciate it. Um, I knew that Michelle wasn't going to to be here tonight, and I told her I already had gifts set for who I wanted to have on the show. I wanted to have James and you come on the show and talk about your books, and um, I was so, so thrilled when it worked out for both of you. Um, Oftentimes it doesn't work out for me that well. (laughs) Um, usually when I have a plan like that, something will backfire, but it worked out absolutely perfect that I was able to get both of you on the same show and have you here when Michelle couldn't be here tonight. I knew exactly that I wanted to have both of you on and talk about your books because James just wrote his first one and he's getting great, you know, reviews and accolades and awards and you have had books out 
but you've written a number since we've had you on the show last, and so I wanted to have you back on and talk about the ones that you've written since Sink or Swim. And so I knew the show that I wanted to put together and and have both of you on. It just it was great that it worked out. So <laughs> well, we thank you always so appreciate, much. <laughs> appreciate the support. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> well, it was our pleasure, and we'll do it again soon. You take care of yourself and keep that flair for writing going. And God bless you and your family and your daughter. Um, and I hope things go very well for for her in that regard. Um, hopefully research will go along very quickly. And like you said, um, instead of diabetes 1, it will be diabetes none very soon. Right. Yep. So well, thank you again. You take care, hon. Thank you again, okay. sweetie. You take care. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye, hon. What a show! I'm so happy that I was able to get both of them, Joe. Um, I know we yeah. didn't actually talk about any of the reality shows that we've been watching. No. But I really wanted to have both of these authors on tonight. Um, James' story was so important to get out. And when I knew Michelle wasn't going to be here tonight, I just had to have him on the show. I want his story told. And it meant a lot to me to be able to have him on and to have him tell his story on our show. And he's been through so much and... He's such a it kind soul. Yeah, and what he does is in the in the uh, state, and people don't realize that the people that live north, how bad it is down there, and how they're changing so much of the uh, of the laws for um, uh, gay or transge- transgender or whatever, you know. And and how hard it is for kids that are, you know, I, I was thinking maybe I could hook him up with Audrey because Audrey lives up here. Because when he said he was he, he was gonna come to Chicago, then he said he wasn't because Audrey could talk to him from Big Brother. Right. Um, because I I have someone in the chat room now saying thank you for letting, letting James tell his story. It was my honor to oh, have James yeah, on the show and and have him tell his story here. And I I hope to have him back again soon. Um, yeah, he just, just accepted kind, my kind friend pull. request. <laughs> and he, he would help anyone, and he is helping people. And he's helping people every time he tells his story. And... He's going to continue to help people by writing his books and gaining the resources and notoriety that he's gaining and going out there and helping other youth that's in need and helping them, you know, get off the streets and, and get the, the resources they need. Um, he, Especially because he's gone through it. So yeah, he knows what it's like. Yeah, and, you know, being thrown out of the house when you're 13 is very hard, I think, you know, and especially 
uh, that was a few years ago, not a lot of years ago, but still a few years ago, and and to deal with that. And back then, there was nothing, you know. I ran um, uh, a, uh, down the street. I was on the board of directors of two homeless shelters, and one of them was just for um, uh, children. We were lucky enough because I was working with the city of Chicago on homelessness and on affordable housing that they allowed uh, us to have that option because, you know, most states or cities even don't allow you to take kids that have been beaten or, you know, whatever, uh, that are are gay and have a place to, to live and eat. And we had we would fill it up almost every night, you know, with eighty eighty kids. So, so sad. Yeah, it was, and uh, that's why I was trying to get on the on the line while Jim was on the line. It down south. It's oh, it's I mean, they don't terrible. have those resources down there. Yeah, they, and they don't want them. <laughs> that's the problem. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, yeah, they for, won't even allow them. And For the community, it's like how Birmingham, uh, Birmingham was during this civil rights uh, uh, going on down there. I mean, you, you look now, right, and you see all these musicians and artists and stuff like that and businesses are pulling out of places that... Well, you know, are, Missouri almost just passed a similar law. But they did almost. Got, almost. But mm-hmm. thankfully it got shut down. But Missouri, there's somebody in Missouri that tried to push that through. And I'm sure your close. governor wouldn't do Yeah, I'm sure your governor would have done that. And then uh, Claire McCaskill is back, you know. So after her uh, cancer uh, fight, she she fought uh, breast cancer. And... Uh, yeah, mastectomies, and uh, she probably had a, a lot to say about that to the um, you know uh, your uh, local uh, state because I mean if you had that, good God for tourism, even tourism, oh, yeah. it would just kill kill tourism, and you can you're so see close what it's to doing us. down there, and I mean. Like you said, there's big bands and and sporting events and everything else that's saying, um, I'm not doing my show, and we're not doing our our event, um, we're canceling, and we'll we'll go elsewhere, all because of the bathroom law, and yeah. um, I mean that's millions and millions of dollars in revenue. It's a lot of so, money. Yep. You know, and then and you have all the, all the other parts of, outside of St. Louis that gets that money via through the taxes and stuff like that. But I mean, uh, uh, you know, you, you don't have a lot of huge uh, cities that right that would be a, like a convention city, right? I guarantee you, they didn't expect the impact to get to be as big as it is and I bet you before long that 
that law is reversed. Yeah, I I would assume that. You know, they're getting like Mississippi is different, but um, you they're know. getting slapped down hard for passing that law, and rightfully so. You know. They <laughs> yeah, so, I okay. didn't know. I was trying to get home fast enough because uh, I was <laughs> trying to get, buy some cigarettes, <laughs> and then I look at the clock and I'm like, oh my god, I'm late. <laughs> for the show, and then I, you, like you said, uh, I have to clean my cookies or whatever. I have to figure out how to do <laughs> yeah, that. I, 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 mean, I have that to it. do that. I have to do that. You know, because uh, the last couple times I've had problems. Like even Michelle said that last week when I, or the week before, I don't remember when I called in at the end of the show. Um, but. Uh, you know. Cash and cookies, Joe. Blog talk is touchy, and if you don't if you don't clear the cash and the cookies, it will give you a lot of grief. So well, well it's kind of hard with clear uh, the cash and the cookies. <laughs> yeah, with the uh, with the uh, Apple, it's so weird. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, but we've had our problem like at Christmas with the uh, Christmas uh, second show. So <laughs> you know. That I still have on Dropbox, <laughs> so I think I do as well. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Painful memory. So, uh, anyways, uh, it was very interesting. The uh, real world this week. If you had um, a chance to see it, I'm behind on the real world, so I can't. I won't. Then I won't say nothing because yeah, I'm not gonna it was, it was a very emotional real world. I'm watching so many reality shows right now, it's hard for me to keep up with everything. There's just, what's my favorite saying, Joe? So much reality, so little time. I mean, that's true. It's so true. Oh, my gosh, uh, my DVR is going to explode one day. Yeah, you know, I I, I have to uh, uh, just record things because, I never, sometimes I fall asleep, <laughs> you know, because I'm watching so much of it around the clock, you know. Uh, and I, you know, me, I watch a lot of scripted stuff too. Like I'm taping uh, right now the uh, Gotham. And then uh, there's something about uh, a, a kid whose father was uh, a, a Nazi. And how and he was in Nuremberg, and uh, it's on uh, PBS tonight. And how he had to grow up and live that, you know. So yeah. that's something else. So, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to talk to James and stuff, and you know, you know, because I know a lot of the uh, places in Chicago. If he has uh, kids, you know, I can uh, make calls real quick for him. Well, I'm sure he would certainly appreciate it. Yeah, I just wish Um, he was here coming. Well, you never know. You know, he's got this book out, and I'm sure he's going to be doing some traveling, and you never know where he might be going. So there might be a book tour coming up or something like that, and he might be in Chicago sometime in the future and you might get to meet him so 
Who knows? I'll buy the book. Um, that would help. Yeah. <laughs> that would help. So. so. But anyways, one uh, of the reality shows that I'm telling everybody about is on the History Channel. Yes. And it's called Alone. Alone. And I know that uh, Cowboy told me that him and his fiance are now watching season one. They caught it on the weekend when they showed all of season one over the weekend. They recorded the entire season one, and they're watching all of it, and then they're going to go into season two, which is airing now. Season one was amazing, so if you can watch that online, I recommend you doing that. If not, just go ahead and pick up season two where it is. Mm-hmm. This show is incredible. There's no production messing around with anything because they all video themselves. They're alone. They're really alone. They are <laughs> absolutely alone. And it's so, so good. Um, I'm hoping the second season is half as good as season one. If it is, it's, it it will be out of this world. So, um, if you haven't checked it out, it's on the History Network, and I forget what night it's on. Um, There's going to be a whole but, bunch of new stuff coming up. Too, I know. You know everything is just starting to break out for new seasons. So, yeah. Oh boy, here we go again. Like, like Wednesday, <laughs> like like Wednesday starts the challenge. I know, and that's going to be a bit, not a good one. Yeah, because this time it's it's not friends; it's uh, male female. Boy, it looks like it's going to be excruciatingly painful too. They're going to hook up rivals, people that don't like each other, as teammates. Oh yeah, I'm sure, and it's gonna be crazy. I mean, I know. we've seen it before. Because <laughs> look at that. You know, we saw Madison and Tony had a baby, right? Well, she's yeah. pregnant again by Tony. Oh my gosh, they're already gonna have two kids. Yeah, and she's pissed at him because she's seen it already, and he was kind of screwing around behind her back. I don't know how he he thought he would get away with it with cameras everywhere, you know, so, but they're going to stay and make make it work. So, and uh, I have to congratulate your team on its win yesterday. Thank you, Joe. I did watch it. (laughs) I actually watched it. That was a great game. We, yes, uh, it was. We dominated the first two periods, tried to just hold on to the two-goal lead in the third, and wound up letting them back in the game in the third period and uh, going into overtime. Yeah, it's and, weird to see when any team changes their goalie to, like, right in that first period, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Dallas, back Dallas did that. David Back is our team captain on his birthday. Yeah. He got the game winning goal. Well, that must have made him happy. The series at 1 1, so. Well, you know, and now uh, 
the, what, there's one more game in Dallas? Or, no, wait. No, no, it's coming back to St. Louis now. See, I guess I was wondering, yeah. So uh, that house will be rocking. Yep, and, uh, it sure will. Once it get, comes back to uh, St. Louis, so we're all just Scott kind Trade of Center upset. will be loud. Yeah, we're going to lose uh, Andrew Shaw, so it's a shame. Are you really? Yeah, they because of the the um, salary cap. Really? And he's well, he's something else. Fun, Joe. Yes, it is. But I'm going to wrap this one up tonight. Okay. And I will talk to you later. I have to write James. <laughs> so he's accepted okay. me as a friend. So I want to write him and let him know he can call me at any time. So. All right. Well, thank you for doing that. Thank you for calling in tonight. Uh-huh. And you have a wonderful week. I want to thank I certainly will. James Swift and Stacy Juba for calling in tonight and being here with me while Michelle was away. I really enjoyed talking to both of them. What great guests they were. Thank you all for being out there listening tonight, wherever you were, whether you were in the chat room, whether you're listening at home via whatever resource you're listening to us by. Thank you so much for listening to us and being here with us on the Manic Monday show here at the Rad Reality Show Network. Really appreciate all of our listeners. I'm going to close the show with Ron, as we always do. He is the founder of this show, and we still keep his memory with us uh, by playing his clips to open and close each and every show. And I hope everybody out there has a wonderful week ahead. We do have a show coming up on Thursday, Mike and the Mike, which is our Survivor Recap show at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Then back here again on Sunday for our Amazing Race Second Pit Stop show with Louis Stravato, also at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Then back here again next Monday for the Manic Monday show with the return of Michelle Costa from Big Brother Season 10, also at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. So make sure you join us on Sunday, Monday, and Thursdays right here on the Rad Reality Show Network. Again, thank you all for being here with me. Here's Ryan to take us out. Good night, everybody. God bless. I want to finish off the show with a little music and say to all of my listeners, thank you guys, and thank you all for coming in. God bless you, and thank you for listening to the show. And it was a great one. It was a great one, and I'm so, so glad that James was able to come on here and tell his story, and I can't wait to have him back again. Joe, thank you for calling in tonight, and go contact James and let him know that you can be another contact for him in Chicago. Okay? 
you doing? All right. That's a wrap for us tonight. Good night, y'all.